Hello and welcome to If It's Hurting It's Not Working, our podcast all about work, why we work, how we work and what makes a great job. And after our last episode where everything changed, we're back to see what happened when our new co-host Nicola took a role at a new organisation. And we'll talk more generally about starting out somewhere new, what to look out for and how to make it a good experience for you and your new colleagues. Yeah, and we'll look at opportunities for reinvention and what that can do for us and whether we can reinvent or relaunch ourselves even if we stay in the same place. One of the things we'll ask is why is it that so many of the things that are roughly the same in any organisation are handled so differently? Yeah, that, that is definitely a weird one. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, Nicola, the last time that we heard from you, you were just in the process of leaving the organisation you'd worked for for a while, and I guess now you've started somewhere else. So, how's that been for you? It's definitely been a change. It's definitely been a kind of a big move in in how I spend my days. Obviously, we discussed before about going to a fully remote working situation and all the good things I said I was going to do I haven't done a single one of them I'm still in the same position. <laughs> I haven't been going to the gym at lunchtime yeah it's it's all encompassing joining a new organization you you know the, it's exhausting taking on board a lot of information in a short space of time yeah I can't fault the onboarding process from the company I've joined to be fair it's been excellent you know there's mm-hmm. been no delays in equipment there's been no delays in training the support that's been offered to me and the information that was given to me was very detailed. And I think that pressure to think, which I put on myself, to be fair, that I need to understand every single bit of information you've given me in the next two weeks. I remember kind of sitting there and thinking, wow, this is a lot. But actually, the more I've kind of sat back and broken it down, it's become less overwhelming. But it, it, it's been a big shift. I thought I worked for a big organisation now I work for an even bigger organisation and I think that's probably been the biggest thing I've noticed is the sheer quantity of people that do just elements of what were my job before. Yeah. I think that's been the real eye-opener. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's maybe underplayed, I guess, that kind of sense of trying to get a mental map of any organisation in your head so that you, you understand how it works and, and I guess where the sources of power are, but just generally... Yeah, the, the, the very different way, I suppose, that they divide up the way things are done. Yeah, and finding useful people. You know, there's there's always people in every organisation that are happy to share and to support. And in a, a, I've gone into a team that's relatively new and, and therefore a lot of the people in the team are new. Mm-hmm. They're that kind of go-to person who's got that five, ten years of being in the business and knows exactly who you need to go and speak to to solve that problem or to identify a new opportunity. Yeah that's not immediately there and I've been very used to being in the position of if anybody needed a name I would know the name you know carried the nickname of 118 Bam in a previous job. <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in the new world it, it's I think it's just generally like being the new girl and being out of your comfort zone I think is, is something yeah. I've experienced for a long time and I'd forgotten what that feels like I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that where you kind of think, I don't know where to go. (laughs) That's a bit frightening. Yeah, I mean, I guess that the the biggest transition for me was was when I moved to a chemical factory in Manchester. Yeah, I mean, I'd never worked on an industrial site kind of like that anyway before. And so I guess just that sense of 
I didn't. Uh, yeah, I mean, I did chemistry A level, but I mean, the, the the sort of chemistry they were doing was quite complex. So I didn't really understand the process that was involved, other than you you put a lot of chemicals into a a cauldron and then stuff emerges the other end. But also, I didn't really. Uh, <laughs> I didn't really understand the the dangers either on the site, you know, so while which chemicals are really nasty and I mean you just sort of imagine that if you see anything dripping keep well away from it because it could be deadly. There's people on the site who've been there for a for a long time and they know each other and you don't have access to those relationships when you first start. So so you feel kind of in my case the new boy but also I mean I had a very specific piece of knowledge which was which was I understood how the control system worked because it was a it was the same manufacturer as as I've been doing on in power station so I had that kind of one thing but everything else was completely alien for me and so so yeah trying to get a foothold in that situation I found quite hard it was good that you went in with a with a known specific skill as well I think that yeah. when you are skilled in a specific thing and one one thing it has highlighted to me is through all of my experience, I'm a bit of a, a jack of all trades and master of none. You know, I've worked in InfoSec for a long time and I've dipped into lots of different bits of it, but I wouldn't say I'm an expert in one. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of really heightened with me and where this role is very focused in one particular area of that, I've had to, to reskill again. I've had to go back to documents that I haven't read for a long time to do more up-to-date training, learn about new technologies that I've not worked with before and what things are in place with those. So I don't know what your default response is when you get put out of your comfort zone, but mine tends to be control and order. So I tend to go buy stationery, nice clean notepad, new pens. I have this whole order of how I'm going to write down my actions and everything like that. And then I go and get the knowledge that I need to get at a high level, admittedly, I've not gone into detail, but enough mm. to be able to hold a conversation and understand. And I think the the more I've done that, the more I've started to feel a bit more comfortable about where I am. How do you cope with that when you're kind of out of that comfort space? Well, I mean, you, you describe quite a, a typical scenario for me because, I mean, I, I, I am a technologist, but I'm also a technologist who has been out of kind of hands-on doing stuff for 20 odd years probably Mm. so in any given situation if I have to sort of get deep into the technology it tends to be something that I don't really have an awful lot of experience of Mm -hmm. so so yeah I mean I guess as you say it there's then a period of a few days where you you sort of have to immerse yourself into a into an entirely new world that you kind of understand. I mean, so for instance, let's talk about the cloud. I mean, everybody kind of vaguely understands that there's 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 computer servers and networking kits somewhere in the world. Yeah. And it's all and it's all connected nebulously together. And you know, you store stuff somewhere and there's various things that help you with getting information in and out and, and what you do with it when it's on there. But you know, at at, at a kind of high level i've got some sense and i can I, you know i could waffle on semi-convincingly for a little bit about that <laughs> but then a couple of years ago i was i was asked to get involved in a specific piece of work around that and so i had to get to grips with you know how does amazon web services actually work and, yeah. and particularly what's the security model like and 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 what do i need to do in order to secure some infrastructure and so i you know that that was that was interesting that was new and i i I'd spent probably seven or eight weeks working in an organization where I've worked for 25 years feeling quite out of my depth and in in, in quite a new place so you know it can it can happen without you actually mm. moving at all 
And then, yeah, it's, it's also recognizing learning styles as well, isn't it? So I'm, I'm learning about Google Google Cloud Platform, GCP, right. that I've not used before. As you know, we've, we've worked together on AWS stuff in the past, but Microsoft is an area I feel highly skilled in, in terms of compliance and things like that. But yeah. Google Cloud was a whole new world. And I started to kind of, I got some information from the, the Data Academy within the organization of that these are courses that you should look at. And I looked at them and they were like quite big, lengthy, technical things. And I was, like started one and felt myself getting distracted or like drifting off and thinking about yeah. you know, what am I going to cook for dinner and things like that. And I was like, right, no, this isn't working for me. I need to find something else. And and went and sourced kind of like using LinkedIn Learning for shorter videos that were a bit more imp- impactful that I could kind of pick up. Yeah. But also, you know, drawing and like, drawing out what it looks like and you know, I'm a very visual learner. There's some labs out there that you can play around in as well. And obviously not with real company data. I just put that caveat in there as a data professional. <laughs> you can then just kind of like, just, just tinker with it really and see what it can and can't do. And that's kind of my nature is to be curious and yeah. to, to look at things and go, well, that doesn't quite look right to me. How would I adjust that? How would I do something different with that? But it's taken me a while to get to this mindset because it's kind of, you know, do I have the freedom to go and learn like this? Or is there expectations around deliverables within the first sort of three months of being within the organization? So once those understandings and expectations were set, it was then a much easier to go, actually, I have got capacity to go and learn and do these things and expand mm. on it. So that, you know, it's that return on investment in the future when I'm having conversations about data loss and assurance and classification that I understand how it all works. So I have enjoyed that. I've been doing that a bit more. And I think, having that mind space to just kind of explore and play has really helped. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's funny, that whole thing about attention span. Because, you know, we used to go on three-day courses about, you know, how, how to make Excel work and, uh, you know, stuff like that. And now, you know, you, you sit down to watch a video and if it's more than about two and a half minutes long, you start looking at your watch. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I don't know quite how that happened. But, but yeah, you know, but I agree with you. I mean, I, if, if I've got a, something like, a, you know, an hour-long even if it's divided into chapters, or, you know, trying to tell me something. I mean, there's there's fantastic stuff online, but it's really, 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 really hard to stay engaged with something like that for an hour or two hours or whatever. It is, yeah, I find maximum about half an hour and then I've got to go and do something else mm-hmm. because it's just, it's either going in and straight out again or I'm not, it's not even going in in the first place. I don't know if you, if you did the... The module that we did around allowing yourself distraction time, like scheduling distraction into your right. So, you know, I'm lucky enough to have a lovely garden office and just behind me is a garden that I find a massive distraction. I could be doing a long training course like that and look out and go, oh, that rose bush needs deadheading. And then I've, I've drifted. Hmm. Actually, by doing the ones with the shorter chapters, it's kind of like, okay, well, I'll do half an hour and then i'll have five minutes deadheading my roses and then i'll have half an hour and then i'll have five minutes pottering on this and that's actually i found really helpful to just kind of focus me in on you know it's half an hour really concentrate on what you're doing it's much like the way i play sport really as well it's like seven minutes on the pitch as as hard as you can go for seven minutes and you can come off and have a rest and then you go and do it again right it's a concept so that's been working quite well for me to to break it down into smaller chunks. Yeah, I've heard that described as the Pomodoro technique. 
Um, Pomodoro. Pomodoro, which t- tomatoes, isn't it? But uh, but apparently some bloke pasta dish, isn't it? Pomodoro. Yeah, some some bloke I think had a had a timer that was shaped like a tomato or something, but did, did essentially did that. Worked for half an hour, had a bit of time off, and then another half hour and so on. So anyway, I mean, you know, you give it a funny name and it becomes a management theory, and you make millions from it probably. Mm. <laughs> and and also, you know, most companies these days are very will promote learning and development and having time to do career progression personal development things like that but i've actually i've found that really truly is part of the culture of where i've moved to it is very much every other day i'm getting emails of these are opportunities that we think would suit you based on the training you've done previously and there's been some really insightful stuff around leadership and coaching and mm-hmm. and mentoring and things like that all the things that you want to see happen seem to be actively happening i haven't quite got in there yet I figured I'd, you know, spend some time learning the actual job I need to do before I start going and trying doing the coaching and mentoring inside of things. But I've found that quite refreshing that it's not a blanket email. It's based on these things you've done. We think this would be a really good journey for you to take in our learning and development portal. Mm. So I've, I've appreciated that. Have you felt, uh, I, I guess from what you said earlier, maybe you have, have you felt under pressure to, to get some quick results so that you can sort of say, look, I have actually done something? Yes and no. I think through the course of the first couple of weeks of meeting lots of individuals as part of my onboarding process, I met one-to-one with everybody in the department as well as the direct reports that I have. Mm. started to generate kind of points that were coming out through those one-to-one meetings of what people did, what they were aiming to do, what their roadmap was and started to create lists of four weeks eight weeks, 12 weeks, six months, nine months, 12 months. And then fairly early on, I was asked to write a roadmap for the next nine months of what I was going to do in the area that I was in. And I'll be honest with you, that that one sent me into a bit of a spin because I was a bit, I don't really fully have a grasp of what the expectation is yet. So Mm. write a roadmap that isn't going to be accurate. So after a good conversation with my manager, we then kind of shortened the timescales into things I knew about that I could put in there. And almost then where I think it's going to go. But in a month's time, that could quite easily change into something completely different. And it is constantly evolving, not just on my thoughts, but also, you know, the guys in my team as well, speaking to them about their ambitions and where they would like to go, where they see these services moving within the organisation. And that's been that's been the biggest challenge, I think, that once I had a good chat with a friend who could calm me down and was like, no, just think about this logically, let's break it down into smaller bits, the bits you know, the bits you don't know, the bits you think are there. There's elements of it that are owned by different departments that aren't under my control. So then, well, they can go down here because they're not in my control, but they're important to what my team are doing. So that bit I have found a challenge. As you know, I enjoy getting to meet people. So yeah the team side of getting to know the people and building relationships and things like that I've enjoyed because there's Mm. a a real diversity in the group that I work within but yeah I I think the expectation is me putting the expectation as opposed to the other way does that resonate with you in terms of what you've experienced yeah um, I guess I was going to say that I when I took on my last job I was asked as part of the interview to put together something like a three-month, six-month type plan of what I was going to do if I got the job. And you have such ambitious plans in those situations and they never really survive contact with, with reality. If only because 
you know, it's, it's, it's not that the, the vision was wrong. It's just that there's so much stuff that gets in the way that kind of you could march really effectively if it wasn't for all the brambles and the, uh, you know, that get in the way that you have to hack out. So, so there's that. I think also, though, I mean, even if you don't know so well, sometimes setting a course and saying, look, this is where I'm going. I mean, at least it gives people a target to say either I don't agree with that or actually can we go here instead of here or whatever. I think if you've got if you've got nothing at all laid out, then you're sort of guaranteed to be blown about by the wind. So at least if you've got something in mind, even if it's the wrong destination. That's a really good point, yeah. You, you, you're telling people where you're heading and then you get the opportunity, I suppose, for feedback on it. Yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on there. Yes, again, this is something I've realised about myself since I've moved as well as I'm incredibly good at giving this advice of keep it simple, you know, don't try and make it too fancy. Let's do the basics, get the foundation in and then we can fluff it around afterwards. And I've literally had that conversation with my team today and then I'm sat here saying, it's got to be this, it's got to be perfect. It's got to, I've got to put it in front of my manager and she's going to be like, wow, this is the best strategy I've ever seen and I don't need to change any of it. Yeah. who's ever done that in their <laughs> <career>? <laughs> so hearing you say that really really kind of hits because it's like oh hang on maybe i should just listen to myself occasionally and go you know there is some logic in there you do need to just take your own advice occasionally yeah well look i mean we're all brilliant at doling out advice to other people and then completely ignoring it ourselves so you know you absolutely wouldn't be the first person who's done that yeah it is it is a challenge moving that when you when you've gone for an environment where you do know everybody so well mm. moving into a new environment and you know creating those new relationships but but also i think one of the most important factors has been understanding like the leadership requirement of you you know because obviously that was very different in an organization where you know each other inside out you've worked with each other for a long time to come in and to be able to have those conversations with your manager and be really honest with each other about actually this is what I would like from you and you tell me what you're expecting from me mm. and I'll, I'll make that happen and I think that's that's been something that I've probably focused very hard on the team as opposed to my relationship with with my manager and ensuring that I'm delivering what they're looking for and I think that would probably be one thing I would do differently if I could replay the last three months and come back in again, I would try to to forge that relationship earlier, I think, than I yeah. have done. And that's no reflection on either of us as leaders. It's just the way the way things are. And you focus very hard on the team and make sure they're happy and they don't think that you're going to be an awful manager and that they want to leave, you know, that you forget about yourself and what you need and what your manager needs from you. Hmm. I've, I've always been completely or do you understand what I mean but I, know, I understand exactly what you mean I've always been terrible I've always been terrible at that managing up thing so so I mean my, my the way that I look at it is there's kind of there's two things that you are in an organization there's the there's how you look from below and and, and your attitude to people who work for you and what they think about that and then there's how you look from above and you know how 
people who manage UCU and people above them as well. And it's sort of it's sort of like you know one of those flat fish you see in the ocean, and sometimes they're kind of dark on the top and light on the bottom. Is that right, or is it the other way around? Anyway, maybe it's light on the top and dark. But the point of the matter is that that you you look in one direction, and they look like one thing. You look in the other direction, and they look like another. And I've always focused very much on that kind of downward thing because. As you say, it's most of the time that you spend is with the people who work for you. And I've always thought it's really important to understand what they're doing and, and, and for them to, to have an appreciation of what you're, that you, you kind of understand what they're going through. However, I've increasingly understood as I've got older that if you don't spend quite a lot of time on that upward dimension as well, then nobody knows that you're doing that. Right. And I mean, does that matter that nobody knows that you're doing it? Well, not really, not really, I suppose. I mean, the whole point is that it's for the people you're doing it for. But nonetheless, managers and their managers can feel like you're sort of inconspicuous or, or kind of just not making a big enough song and a dance. So you, so you kind of have to play to both audiences. You have to think about how does anyone in the organisation know what I'm up to? And, and unfortunately, I think, but it is a, the fact, you know, that a bit of publicity, a bit of self-publicity does go a long way. Yeah, and I th- but I think that's a bit of a holy grail as well, to be able to find the balance between the two. You know, yeah, I've worked for some excellent people managers that might not have that good a relationship with the senior leadership above them. Mm. But then I've worked with other managers that spend all of their time with the senior leadership. Yes. And you sit there going, what do they do? Where yeah. are they? I have no yeah. idea what's happening and so then you lack that so i think it's it's really hard to find that balance between promoting Mm. yourself enough in terms of your relationship with leadership but also maintaining the relationship with your team and communicating with your team what you can about the relationships you're building with your leadership i think that's there's very few people i think who can actually deliver that in in both ways in those sort of scales of justice of kind of balancing that between the two I'm maybe just starting to get somewhere with that after 30 years of being in a management position. So it is, it, 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 it's hard. It is hard. Are you, uh, are you doing a bit more self-promotion, Richard? Very, very slightly. Yeah. So that makes me very happy, though, because I know that's something that you've been working on for a while. So I'm really pleased to hear that. Yeah. So what I'm interested in, though, is this aspect of reinvention, because I think one of the one of the things that we get the opportunity to when we arrive in a new situation is we don't have to be the same person that we've been before and i guess you know my before i give you the chance to answer this my my main example of this was when i left home when i was to start work when i was 18 i was i was a shy person and i thought nobody knows that i'm a shy person and if i pretend to be an outgoing person no one else is going to know any different and it seems to me that people who are who are more outgoing have more fun so i'm going to give this a go and see what happens and so i just reinvented myself as more of a kind of outgoing person and it it kind of worked i mean it kind of worked for a while i think i mean once i'd left university sort of 5 years later i think i sort of quietened down again a bit but but nonetheless for that yeah, for that period in my life when it was all about meeting new people and making relationships quickly, I think that that reinvention definitely served me in good stead. You know, even if you could argue it was a little bit fake. Uh, anyway, coming out of that, I just wonder if you had felt there was there was an opportunity for that and, and taken it. In the past, yes, absolutely. In the past, when I'd moved roles, definitely when I was younger, it was simple things like I would ask people to refer to me as Nicola, not Nikki. Right. You know, Simple things like that, and 
a shift in in identity in that respect and you know i felt as i was getting older that nicola was a more appropriate name than nikki and you know although everyone calls me by a nickname these days so it doesn't <laughs> make much difference but with this change no i haven't i haven't taken any opportunity to reinvent who i am i'm a big believer in in honesty i expect honesty from the people around me i also find that particularly in older age you know when you when you're kind of 18 i can completely appreciate why you took that approach i mean we were talking about rebranding on the radio yesterday about you know as you grow older you rebrand yourself a bit like madonna you know you rebrand yourself right. things as the generations and styles shift now you know in my 40s i have a family uh, you know i'm a completely different person to where i was before and i i don't want to change that i don't i don't want to be anybody different than who i am i also think people would see through it very quickly because intrinsically i am who i am and that comes out sometimes it gets me into trouble sometimes it's a great thing but it didn't even cross my mind to try and be anyone other than nicola when i moved in this job so. okay no no that, that, i think that, i think that's that makes a lot of sense it, it, i think it i think it does make a lot i mean look you are a very young person i have to tell you oh thank you richard uh, <laughs> we'll get you everywhere <laughs> <laughs> so don't start um talking yourself out of that but but also no i i fully understand that when we think we found who we are there's kind of there's less of a need to try and be a chameleon so so yeah that 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 does make sense there's always improvements to be made don't get me wrong and i think if anything from the from the mistakes that we make the learnings from the and it's such an utter cliche isn't it but the learnings from the mistakes are the key thing and i'm a very reflective person i spend a lot of time reflecting on things that i may not have done my best at or i may not have reflected myself particularly well but the learnings from those make me a better person and and make me a better individual in in how i approach things and i think as long as i keep doing that and less mistakes happen and more positive things happen and I grow as a person and I develop, then, you know, those falling downs help in the long run. Um, Mm. I think when you get to that point where you start to recognise that failings are part of of learning about life and and how you move on and how you grow, I think you kind of get to the point where you're just like, well, this this is me. Mm. Sometimes you're going to fit and sometimes you're not going to fit, you know, whether that's socially or at work or at sport or whatever it is. I'm just I'm very pleased that, you know, the learnings I've had have got me to a place where I feel confident to say that and, mm. and be myself. I'd say that the one thing it has stopped me doing has got me out of some bad habits that I'd created in the old role. Right. Because the, the week was the same and you do the same things and you have the same patterns it has got me out of some unhealthy habits, definitely. Mm-hmm. You know, whilst I haven't moved my desk around and done all the things I said I was going to do, it has changed my approach to the day in that I'm now very, very conscious of sitting at my desk all day, every day. And then I leave the house, I do the school run, I come back and then I stay in the house until I go to bed, basically. So mm. for an 18 hour period or however long it is, I'm awake during the day. I would leave the house for probably 40 minutes, mm-hmm. if that. Some days it, I would never leave the house. And then you start to feel yourself going a bit stir crazy. And so that I've been really strict with. I have made sure 
I leave the house. It might not be for long, but I leave the house, even if it's to walk to the post box and back. Not that I've got anything to post, but just to just get out and do some exercise. Yeah. So that bit, I think, has changed my approach because, you know, there's not the option of tomorrow I'm just going to pop to the office for half a day because it's two and a half hours away. So that bad habit has definitely shifted. And I think that's one positive I'd take from the move. A lot of things that we do in organisations are essentially the same. Your sort of finance, HR, IT, whatever, you know, I mean, most organisations have to do a bunch of stuff that's similar. And yet it seems like every organisation does it in a completely different way. And, you know, you see, so you go somewhere new, you've got no idea how to fill in your expenses form or the timesheet or what's expected of you or whatever. Even that has an alienating effect because it's, you know, it's the simplest thing. And yet, you, you know, you've got no idea how to do that either. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm personally delighted to say that I don't have to do timesheets. Ah, Nirvana. So, oh, it is, it is a wonderful thing. It really is. <laughs> Uh, your timesheets are a thing of the past currently. But again, it goes back to the onboarding process for me. If the onboarding process is good, you know what you've got to do, you know where you've got to be, you know where you've got to put your details and by when. Yeah, so I've, I've not really struggled with it, I have to mm. say. I haven't had too much contact in terms of kind of the HR side of things. The expenses was a bit of a rigmarole, but then once once you're in, it's very easy to yeah. do. Policies, stuff like that, I mean... it. <laughs> yeah. I think the the variation in intranets, I think, has probably been the key thing. Right. You know, seeing both sides of the coin of going to an intranet, searching for something such as an expenses policy to understand what you're allowed to claim. Where do I find the policy? And this is, you know, where the size of an organisation really starts to hit home because then previously I would have started at the top of the food chain and moved my way down. Yeah through the org chart to find the relevant person and then contact that person. But working in a much larger organisation, there's hundreds of people that do that one job. And so then trying to track down which one of those hundreds of people looks after your business area mm. is a challenge. But the team have been incredibly supportive whenever there's been any problem. My manager or the other leads in the department have straight away just gone, this is the name you need, this is what you need to do. So... It's that balance between self-service of actually to go out and find that information myself or do I ask for help? Mm. And you don't want to be that person who's emailing every day going, uh, anyone know how I do this? Mm. And they're just going to send you a link to the internet and you're like, I could have found that myself if I'd like, search for it. But other than that, it's, it's quite positive, you know. Yeah. We get visibility of pay slips much earlier, which mm-hmm. is really cool in terms of budgeting and these times and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I have typically been the sort of nerdy person who, whenever I go somewhere new, whatever, I, I, I kind of start looking at all the, all the policies and reading them just because I'm, you know, I don't want to fall foul of it. I kind of want to know what's expected of me. And I mean, and funnily enough, actually, often it's not that useful a place to look anyway, because although it does, I mean, it, it circumscribes, I suppose, some behaviours that they are keen to 
talk about but they tend not to discuss a whole bunch of other things as well it's sort of you know it's whatever anybody thought about at the time they were writing the policy but not it, not exhaustive and it doesn't really give you the spirit of, of a place either and the only way you're going to find that out is by working with people and and you sort of absorb it I mean, people can try and define what the culture of an organisation is, but actually, that's really that's really hard, and and they may only get part of it. And, and really, the only way to, to to know what the culture is is to live with it. Yeah, I was literally about to say that that like you can document a culture, but what's documented and what exists are, are often not the same. Yeah, I guess it's like many things. The execs in an organisation have a view on what they would like the culture to be. And they can certainly promote a certain way of working. And if you say it often enough, it can, to some extent, happen. But in the end, you can only lead things so far. People will act the way that they act. And some of them will be led and some of them won't. Yeah, and, and, and culture, I think, you know, a large part of it has been displayed recently, you know, with pride and how organisations have responded to pride and, and how yeah. that's been put together and who sponsored that and... You know, some of the the information that I've been seeing coming out on LinkedIn at both the organisation you work at and where I work. And I felt like really, really excited and buoyant by that. And, you know, particularly for where you are, it was it was great to see so much positive energy and reaction around the events that were that were done for Pride. Did you get involved in any of it? A little bit. Yeah. And so I feel like in previous years, we had done stuff because it was Pride Month and kind of, you know, it's what you do in Pride Month. But it felt like, actually, for the first time, it was people in the organisation actually being proud of their identities and talking about who they are and what that means, which gives it an entirely different identity. And look, I mean, I am... (laughs) one of the least diverse people that there is in the organization and i don't fit into any of those 100 different designations these days you know i i i just don't but i'm really pleased that people have the opportunity to express themselves and this is their moment in the spotlight and and they're taking it and and so yeah yeah i i can really only be an interested spectator but I, but yes it did seem particularly poignant this year yeah i did. i enjoyed the aspect of kind of celebration of certain individuals and their stories and, and the pathways that they've been on, because as you know, I love people and their background and what makes them tick. So I really enjoyed that. But that for me was the interesting part that it it was really exceptional stories that, you, you know, that you wanted to hear about or charities that are being supported and things like that, because actually the, the diversity is just there mm. in the culture of the organisation. It's there. Having visited the offices and, and seeing the diversity within within the office space, you're just like, well, you know, this this it really is just part of the fabric. And then for Pride Months to then kind of really go into the different stories and charities that are supported locally by the organisation and things like that, I found that quite refreshing. That mm. the Pride aspect was just part of the fabric anyway. And let's just celebrate these extraordinary stories. Mm. So yeah. That was a really good insight into the culture, actually, and one that I found very positive, and that was very happy to see. Yeah. So thanks, Nicola. I mean, that's I think that's been an interesting discussion. You know, we we kind of seen now both sides of things. We we saw last month, you know, what it's like to leave somewhere, mm-hmm. and and this month, you know, we're we're talking about what it's like to join somewhere. 
So, so yeah, thanks for, for, for giving us that insight. That's all right. Just one other thing I was just thinking of, actually. One of the things that has been really positive is I've attended a couple of different conferences within kind of the first three months of being there, which I'm not used to. I'm not used to that investment as an individual to be able to go to a conference. Uh-huh. And I actually went to Infosec in London a couple of weeks back went along to a fireside chat that an old colleague of ours was talking at actually somebody I work very closely with so I went along to support and it was a conversation around cyber specifically and how do we develop the next generation of talent that goes into that industry yeah and they were talking lots about graduates and how we kind of develop soft skills that come along with doing a graduate degree and things like that and I was just wondering what your perspective is on that obviously as somebody we've discussed previously you have a degree I don't I believe you've been visiting some universities recently and how you think that transition to uni is going to go and then is that going to truly benefit getting into the working world yeah so so I mean we talked last time particularly about the need, I I guess, for more apprenticeships and that route of working your way into knowledge rather than always it being academic, and which which I'm really supportive of. I mean, I I think think that's really necessary. And I I do feel like too many people have been pushed down that academic route in the last 20 years. I mean, this is not because I'm exclusionary. It's not because I don't want people to experience the benefits of of, of a university education I just uh, you know having been through it myself I know what it's like and I just don't feel that it is for everyone however having said that in as you say in the last few weeks I've been going around with my daughter because she is considering university education it's that kind of time in her life and so I I mean I went along very much in that sense of right well you know show me what you've got because I'm not necessarily convinced that I'm on planet university let, let you know let's see what you've got and a number of things became clear to me i guess from that i mean the first is the sheer number of people of, of young people going around these these events i mean that there's no question that university remains really popular among people of that age and it, i mean it is undoubtedly because partly because you know that's a a, a route they're being pushed down but nonetheless despite the cost despite everything it's still still something that they really want to do but also actually I went to a talk and it was it was in the University of Exeter about natural sciences my my daughter decided she she thinks that's what she wants to study and I I was really inspired by the talk that that the professor there gave in terms of what learning natural sciences could do for you and I thought if only if if only in 1987 when I went to study there'd be there'd been some well look there were a couple of people um, in Cambridge who were inspirational but the vast majority of them were not and I, and I think for me that's what makes a difference I, th- I think if if you if you can be inspired and to see why study can make a difference in the world and and what you could do with the degree and why you would want to learn all this stuff then I think it make that makes a massive difference and that's why you would want to do it and I think perhaps my slightly jaundiced view is that I didn't feel especially in, inspired and I kind of emerged with a piece of paper which you know definitely unlocked the doors to to, to in a few places but I never really felt like 
I'd learnt anything that was particularly valuable. So so yeah, I I I guess what I feel now is that 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 perhaps perhaps people do get an opportunity to, to learn something there that that is going to be valuable in terms of their careers. Still blooming expensive though, so you know you yeah. you'd, you'd better be getting good value from it. I think. Yeah, I mean, there's huge costs associated with it now, isn't there? Uh, it was even it was scary when I was considering it, and when would I have been considering going to university? Late nineties, right? And even then, it it was it was part of the decision of why I didn't go. Well, part the fact I failed my A levels, <laughs> but uh, the finances of it, I just I couldn't I couldn't comprehend it. That level of money to go and get a degree for something. In all honesty, I wasn't really sure I wanted to do anyway. You know, as we discussed before, for me, an apprenticeship would have been the way to go. Yeah, that was what was interesting about this conversation is, and I asked the question at the end was, everything was based around graduates. Everything, every conversation was about university. Coming out of university, they need soft skills. They need this. They need that. And I said to them, I was like, you know, have you considered apprenticeships? Um, Because all of these things are taught as part of the apprenticeship program. So ultimately, you're still going to get to the same place, but those those young people aren't going to come out of that with, you know, potentially forty, fifty thousand pounds worth of debt, if not more. Mm. And, and doctors, I don't even want to think about how much money that's costing to to get to the point of qualifying as a doctor. So, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm really pleased that there was an inspirational person there because, you know, I have close links to the teaching network, and there's there's a lot of disheartened people out there. So yeah. it's not that there are still some people out there that are inspiring and still delivering the energy for the subject that they love yeah there was one sobering thing though which when we went went around southampton and they were talking about what people had gone on what their students had gone on to do and they had a video from some young man who had studied chemistry or something like that maybe biology and then he said oh i've gone on to get a job in the finance industry and it's funny because from the world of academia, I suppose we're showing that you are employable and, you know, the safety of a secure job and so on. And yet, you know, you, you, you go to university to study and, and push back the frontiers of science and then you end up doing a job that's like, you know, stuff in spreadsheets. I mean, look, I don't want to denigrate the finance profession who do a great job. And, you know, without if, if you didn't have people who had an interest in money, then nobody would do anything in companies because, you know, that's what it all runs on. Nonetheless, I don't know that that was the most inspirational story. It's like being a marine biologist and ending up being a programme manager. You know, it's just chalk and cheese, isn't it? It's Yeah. I think that's part of it as well because, you know, that degree education does give you a certain amount of experience in things like critical thinking, you know, to be able to read inf- like vast amounts of information and digest mm. it and like review it in different ways. And I considered doing a degree later in life after I had the children, basically. And my other half very kindly sort of said to me, I think that's a really bad idea having done a degree the way you think isn't going to fit with what you're trying to do he was like you have critical thinking in what you do on a day-to-day basis in that you look at something and you go that's not right and you know it's not right because you've developed instincts through experience over the years Hmm. but i can't imagine you sitting down digesting all of that information and then actually writing a dissertation or an essay based on that he was like because that's not your strength writing isn't your strength speaking is your strength so i think there probably is something 
to be said in there about developing those speaking and soft skills as people progress through a degree mm. not only are they able to digest and critically think but they're also able to communicate that in a way that would transpose into the workplace mm. it's interesting when i um when i first was asked if i wanted to do podcasting i said i'm not sure it's for me because i think i'm a i'm a person who writes rather than the person who talks and I, I, I don't know that i'd be any good at that and I, I mean i've learned i guess over the years a little bit how you how you do talking but yeah we are we we hmm? I said you're a very witty man. You shouldn't. <laughs> we that. we all, um, yeah. I guess we all have have different strengths. Is 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 where it's at. Okay. Well, look. Thanks for those of you who've made it this far, listening to this episode. We you know we, we do this because it's fun, but we also do it because we hope there'll be people who want to listen to it. So so thanks for doing that. And if you've enjoyed listening to what we've said, if you if you, if you think it's worth a listen, then please rate our podcast and, and leave reviews in places like Apple Podcasts and Podchaser. And then also tell people, tell people about it. Tell yeah. your family or friends. Tell everyone. Tell everyone you know. Put it in your Christmas cards. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but don't I would suggest if you don't like it, don't tell us all. I I got a a review for my Doctor Who podcast uh, a few months ago, and it said something along the lines of four posh Guardian readers with speech impediments talk uh, too seriously about Doctor Who, and I have to to say that I was very very upset about posh. The, the rest of it, okay, fair enough, but but yeah. <laughs> Please tell me you're going to do the next one with a really thick Yorkshire accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll have to, won't I? <laughs> oh, don't listen to the haters, Richard. <laughs> okay, if you want to get hold of us, you can you can email us on ifhurtnotwork at gmail dot com. We've got a Twitter account if Twitter still works at ifhurtnotwork. And there's a web page as well, if hurt not dot work. It's all terribly complicated. I'm not convinced that I definitely got the marketing strategy right. But anyway, that, that's what they all are. So yeah, if you if you want to get in touch with us, those are, are some ways of doing so. Thanks, Nicola, again, for your time and your company. It's always interesting to talk to you about a variety of things. Uh, it was lovely to speak to you again. Hopefully we can get some time in the diary for the next one that doesn't get pushed 50 million times because I'm useless at scheduling my life. Well, uh, yes, I, I, I have also been quite useless in terms of editing stuff for other podcasts I'm doing. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to find time to do stuff is just the truth of it. But it's almost nearly time for you to turn into a pumpkin as well, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> like, like Cinderella, if it gets much past nine o'clock, then uh, things start going wrong. Yeah. It says we're on Instagram here. Are we on Instagram? So Emily did set up an Instagram page for us, but neither she nor I had really... Well, no, she knew what she was doing with it, but but she didn't have time for it, and I had no idea what it was. Yeah, I haven't got Scooby. I can't help you. I look no, no. So, I've got no idea what I'm doing. So I think she posted once, and I maybe posted twice on it, and then I decided that I wasn't an Instagram person. <laughs> <laughs>
Cool. I mean, I, I mean, I barely know what I'm doing with Twitter. I mean, I, I think I understand how Twitter works. I just can't get on the right side of the algorithm. But uh, but yeah, Instagram is a close book to me. Just go. Is my sound all right, or do you want to try it with my headphones in? Uh, it sounds okay to me. Okay, I'm just not sure about background noise. Whether you're hearing the pigeon fluttering around outside. I can't hear the pigeon at the moment. Okay, good. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, Nicola, I recorded a um, an interview with a guy in California, and halfway through it, a pneumatic drill started outside his flat. Right. So he went outside to have a look and he came back in and he said, no, no, they're drilling outside the flat. There's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. And so, yeah, after that, it was kind of, um, you know, slightly chaotic. But I mean, in a, in a way, it made a story, you know, because, oh, yeah. because you know, an interview with somebody, well, you know, I mean, anybody can do that. But an interview with, with somebody while they're battling with the noise of a pneumatic drill outside their front window. Now, there's a story for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I, I think also, um, I think also I've lost my th thread completely. Um, but, but I will come back with something in a sec. Um, yeah, I don't know why I've just said that out loud. But there we go. 